Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 77 of Thrive Deeper, your favourite Bible podcast. It's DJ Payne here with you. And on this week, Matthew and I sit down and we go through Genesis 4, and I think we get our way to Genesis 8. I might be wrong about that. We might even touch on Genesis 9. I'm not too sure. (laughs) I could go and check, or I could get out of the way and let you get in today's podcast. Hey, thank you so much for downloading this week's episode. We know we're a little bit out of kilter with the rest of you reading through the book of Genesis. It's only because we've got so much to get through in these first 12 chapters or so. Don't worry, we will catch up soon and we'd love to hear your questions coming in as well. I'll let you know how to do that at the end of today's podcast. But until then, sit back and enjoy this discussion of Genesis chapters 4 to roughly say chapter 8. We've got a lot of American listeners, Matthew. Have we? Yeah. Yeah, a substantial amount of people uh. are listening from America. And this week, I think, in America, and when this episode goes out, it's Thanksgiving. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, we're thankful for all of our American listeners. How do you partake in Thanksgiving in the Jacoby household? Mm, well, we're thankful <laughs> all the time. <laughs> That's your way of saying, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Australia. That's right, yeah. And it's, and it's funny, when I talk to my American friends, they're really surprised. Like oh, the, it's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big thing over there. And and it is a surprise uh, to Americans that it's not a thing at all here. And we don't have anything really, like a lot of things you could say, we've got the equivalent to that mm. in our holidays. We don't have the equivalent we to Thanksgiving. Yeah, we don't have that. Yeah, so to explain to our American listeners, we Australians, we take everything for granted. We have... Such an overinflated sense of entitlement that we feel no need to give thanks. That's yeah, I think you might. It's sad, sad but true. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Matt. Um, well, in our entitledness in in our podcasting here, we are in the book of Genesis, and and it's episode. I think I heard you say just before hmm. seventy seven. Seventy seven. Well, that number actually comes up. <laughs> In our text that we're going to be looking at today. I'm getting worried that I'm losing you to numerology. (laughs) I think you are heading off into some sort of Kabbalistic numerology Hebrew or something. I have been a little uh, in that space uh, and... And I and I've seen and I've seen some crazy stuff too. Yeah. In in numerology, like sometimes, honestly, some people treat the Bible as like a numerological crossword yes. that, where they break everything down to the Hebrew letters on. And if you go down and across, you know, you can predict who's going to be the next president of the United States. Yep. It's just. Yeah, should, I go it, get it my, goes, <laughs> should I go get my Trump hat out? Is that, is that what we're going to turn this episode into? It's, uh, it, it's like, yeah, it, it can go to all sorts of crazy lengths. Um, uh, but, uh, yes, the, the numbers have been interesting me uh, lately in the structure um, of the first three chapters of Genesis. And interestingly, as we move into Genesis chapter 4, um, again, we have a text that's structured numerically uh, in a way that, um, 
really can't be ignored. I mean, uh, the word brother is found seven times here in the in the Cain and Abel narrative. Cain is used fourteen times. Seth is used seven times. Mm. Uh, it's just uh, the the. The divine name is used thirty-five times. You've just got all of these multiples of seven. Multiples of seven, which okay. again underscores the fact that this is uh, a literary production that has been put together so carefully, yes, in a way that um, is really artful. Okay, so uh, well, we're going right down the rabbit hole right at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. Where does careful analysis of numbers and noticing repetition and patterns and predicting, you know, Donald Trump being president, oh. Yahoo. <laughs> no, no, you, no, they don't scoff because I, yep. I see the passionate people yep. counting the letters of Hebrew and did you know that this number means this? Okay, yep. Where does your line in the sand of noticing okay, yep. and, and, and craziness begin? Yeah, the, the sort of numerology that um, uh, like the – uh, there, there was a book uh, out at some point. Do you remember what it was? It was something like the Bible Code, or oh yes, it was, uh, I think it was that the Bible Code. Yeah, yeah um, or the hidden code. Yeah, in the Bible, yeah, that's, that's, that's a different. That's actually a different kind of completely different kind of thing that ascribes Hebrew letters numbers mm. in the text, and then. But didn't? Uh, but, but isn't there a tradition? Like isn't there an ancient tradition uh, amongst Hebrew scholars? Of of the Kabbal, where it turns into yeah. mysticism and yeah, numbers does, and yeah. all that type of stuff. Yeah. That, and that's and again that's a whole other that's a whole other thing that's something different to taking a piece of, of narrative um, that is clearly structured um, by using certain words a certain number of times. Okay, it, that's a, it's a different different sort of thing. Now I don't know much about the other sort of numerology, mm. um, but this is more literary. Uh, numerology. This okay. is well. I don't, don't even want to refer to it as a numerology because it's just noticing a literary feature. It's structure. It's noticing yeah. this patterns yeah. in the structure. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, and for what it's worth, I'll put it out there. Be careful if you're going down that numerology road. I, I've, oh, yeah. I've, I've yeah. seen too many people shipwrecked. Yeah. In their life. Oh, totally. Yeah. Going. Oh, listen. This letter actually means this, and the, and we counted up, and there's all these hidden meanings. Yeah. yeah. I don't think. That God put it together for hidden meanings. I think God yeah. wanted everybody to understand. I know. Yeah, the, 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 there has been a period of time where hidden meanings in the text. Well, I mean, this is this has been a feature throughout uh, history in different mm. ways. But the idea of hidden meanings. Problem is, is that then you know there's certain people who can interpret those hidden meanings, and mm. um, the text is clear. The meaning of the text is very clear, Amen. Um, and we need to be good readers of, of the text mm. and um, and not look for hidden meanings because the meaning actually is plain in the text that we've been given. Amen. Okay, then that in that spirit, let's continue on. Mm. We have we we finished off Genesis one, two, and three over the last couple of episodes. Now we need to bring up something because I'm so uh, what's the word. I love every every you know T cross properly and every I I dotted properly. Mm. I understand that at the moment in our Thrive reading, we're going to be way ahead in our Thrive reading than what we're talking about in the Thrive episodes. Yes, and that's because there is so much to unpack in these yeah. first twelve <clears throat> chapters of yeah. Genesis. Whereas the reading is going to go fly ahead, yeah, so you we'll, might we'll catch up. We'll catch up with the reading, but exactly. we want to give give time to these early chapters. And it also gives you time, dear listener, as you read. You might have some questions. 
that gives you time to bring the questions to us. And we're getting the questions. There are questions sitting here piling up. Don't worry. We've got them. We will get to them in a future episode. Yeah. And, of course, because all of the Thrive readers are right on schedule. Shh, shh. Don't, 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 don't shame them, Matt. Don't shame them, all right? I'm actually behind at the moment, okay? So don't shame me either. Okay, now let's get into Chapter 4. We have finished off. Now let's just cover some of the basic themes. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we are introduced to all the major players that we need to know to set up You know how God wants us to be introduced to the universe, to reality, to everything here. Mm-hmm. We know that there is a God who wants to bring order to chaos. Yep. We see that as a patterns and everything established in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. We see, you know, the universe created. We see uh, humankind created, man and woman. And we see the fall. We see yep. Satan deceiving both of them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and fall. And God uh, has judgment on, you know, on, on all three yeah. of them in, in, one, in one sense. Casts them out of the garden. And the last thing that we are left with is this feeling of, did... Did the serpent say the wrong or right thing? He said, you'll be like God. You'll know the difference of good and evil. Yeah. God pretty much echoed that same sentiment mm. that Satan had. But Satan also said, you're not going to die. You're surely not mm. going to die. You know, that's that's okay. And we, and we are left now with Adam and Eve dismissed out of the garden. Yeah. What and we're left thinking, okay, what happens to the judgment? What where is yep. this good and evil? Where is death? What happens to order and chaos again? How is this going to all work out? Mm. So to explain that, because I, I think that the point about the chaos is an important one, because it's not explicitly doesn't use the word chaos uh, in the text, but yeah. it, it it uses symbols that were associated with the chaos. And to understand, to just explain that, um, ancient people in the ancient Near East thought about the world um, in, in this tension between order and chaos. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, we live in a very ordered society compared to what the ancient world uh, was like. And so chaos was always this, this force that uh, enveloped uh, enveloped us if we don't put some order, you know, yes. if we don't plant our fields and um, look after our flocks, and if we don't have some kind of civil order, it's mm. all going to fall apart. Mm. So, uh, so they lived much more at, at, at the sort of coal face of the chaos that yes would consume them otherwise, and so this is this idea now. Um, uh, Chaos is symbolized in the idea of the heaving oceans. You know, this was uh, understood and identified with the forces uh, of chaos, and also darkness was was identified with chaos. And so, in at the Genesis uh, one verse two, we we're told that darkness was over the surface of the deep. You know, yes. so we have the the ocean. It's not that it's evil. It's just not yet in, in, in Genesis, yeah. at least. It's just not. Good. It's not fully ordered yet. Yes, and that's the point: is that God brings His order, and then we have the opposite of chaos, which is order, but which is also rest. Mm. Rest is like the opposite of a state of chaos. Yes. So, um, what's get, what happens with the fall is that everything gets upturned. We've looked at that. Everything gets turned on its head. Yes. And what we're going to see is everything go back to a state of chaos in the next section. So we're going to end up in Chapter 7 where we're going to have a watery chaos over the earth with the flood uh, again. Okay. So is is, is the other theme that I saw reading these chapters again was it seems now that humanity wants to be in a constant state of rebellion. 
Like there's a seed of rebellion being yeah. placed here, and we see it. We're introduced into this into chapter four with two brothers, Adam and Eve's mm. two two sons, yeah. Cain and Abel. Mm. We we it sort of flies over a little bit about uh, about Cain and Abel, but obviously Abel was someone who was wanting to live in order, wanting to be obedient to what he knew the Creator was mm. was calling him to do, and Cain right from the very beginning had this attitude of no, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, well, this this emerges, and it's interesting the way that the idea of chaos uh, is expressed there, um, because first, just to explain the story, so they both bring an offering. Now, uh, Abel brings, uh, it says here, and um, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering uh, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, in Jewish thought, that that's the best. That's the best. Yeah, he he, he actually brought to God the best, uh, the best portions, the best of his flock, the first fruits. Now we 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 have to sort of read into this a little bit, yeah. because we got to understand that in some way, in some capacity, mm. that God the Creator had informed them what was acceptable as an offering. And there was yeah. an, even a concept of an offering. There's a sin offering. There's something that, that's going on. There's some sort of re- – I hate to use the word religious practice, but there's a relationship that God is calling these yeah. sons to. That's right. It, either that or this is the informing. So they both bring the offering and Great. God says to excellent, Abel – Excellent. And God is basically saying to them both, yep. um, listen, by the way, from now on, because of this – as a Love symbol of this situation. Yes. What I require is um, is a you know blood yeah. uh, offering. Yeah. Uh, the, the first fruits of the flock. You know this is good. So mm. yes, well done, Abel. This is what I want. Now, Cain should have said, "Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Yep. I, I'll I'll make sure that I'm on that page." But listen to the way that God. You know, the Lord God speaks to Cain. The Creator is still speaking to humankind in verse six. And, and this is my point. He he is cautioning him. Yeah. And the way that he does this is interesting, gets back to this idea of order and chaos. It says here, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Uh, and the Lord said, to, see, the question is, is he going to fall in with the way that God wants things done? This is the order thing, okay? Um, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, or it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I'm reading from the ESV here, which is a literal translation. You must rule over it. Now, we've been introduced already to this idea. The mandate of humankind was to step in with God's order and maintain God's order. And he would do that by ruling over the earth and subduing it. Okay, So God is saying, okay, Cain, this is... This is what you need to do because chaos is threatening, like in your own heart. And of course, this is where the chaos begins, isn't it? Chaos Amen. isn't an external force uh, that that um, breaks in from the outside yes. so much as an as something. At least in this world, mm. it begins in the human heart, mm. and from the human heart, the world gets uh, taken back to this uh, state, state of, of chaos. chaos. Yeah. So. This is really profound um, because God is telling Cain to do what the mandate for humanity was. Rule over it. Master the chaos Mm. in your heart. That's your job. And, Mm. of course, we know the story. He doesn't do this. 
Instead, he murders his brother, and we get the beginning of this um, rivalry, this jealousy uh, between the the two brothers. Do you, do you do you think in and this is you know I I haven't done any research into this. Is this flat out rebellion? I know it's I know mm. you know God God sees it as that, but in one sense, does God does Cain hear God's mandate? to rule over it and decide, yeah, okay, I'm going to rule over it. I'm going to do it my way. I'll rule over this. I'll kill my brother. Yeah, that's an interesting point because in in a way he is, he's not, yeah, he's wanting to rule over. Yeah. But not- Not, not God's in, way. Yeah, not God's way. Yeah. So th- this is the- this is what happens as a result of the fall, and this is even described in the consequences at the end in the second part of chapter three. Remember, God gave humankind authority, mm. made them like God, mm. and but they're reaching to be like God in another sense. Yes. Of course, that was the temptation, wasn't it? Mm. Eat from this tree, you'll be like God. So basically, what happens is that instead of authority in the world, exercised as it should, we have tyranny. You know, we have this kind of exercise of power yes. um, that is uh, in service of human autonomy yeah. rather than in service of God's order. And this is what this looks like. And, of course, this is then throws, it's this very kind of thing, mm. this sort of jealousy between the brothers uh, that throws the world into um, into a state of chaos. Interesting, actually, I was even just this morning, I was listening to a lecture on um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was a, Fre- a French philosopher in the um, 1700s, and, and he saw the sort of root of all evil, as it were, in this... Um, I mean, he felt that it came down to private property. That's a whole other thing. And, and, and the jealousy caused between that, you know, so... And, and particularly with things like uh, someone being recognised and more than another person. He mm. talks about this. And so this is, you know, this kind of jealousy basically is the root of, of you know, um, all of the evils that we have in the world today mm. anyway. Jean-Jacques Rousseau is another uh, kettle of fish, and he takes that in a direction that I wouldn't go. But um, but the point is is that this kind this very kind of jealousy, mm. uh, you know, is really in the Bible is seen as the the root mm. this root this conflict between brother. I want the recognition that you've got. I want what you've got. Instead of them recognizing they are equal before God, um, there's no need for jealousy here. Just mm. step in. Uh, into God's pattern, and it'll be right. But of course, it doesn't go that way. It's and it's and this always is the most shocking thing for me is that the first generation of human beings yeah. on the earth, Adam and Eve, you know, out of the garden, their two sons, you know, still in communing with, mm. still communing personally mm. with God, you mm. know, God the Creator. It's not a, they don't don't go. And the first sin was mm. he told a fib, a little yeah. white lie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that a, no, it jumps into murder. Yeah. And deception being the first thing that the human heart does escalates quickly, doesn't it? it it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And 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 when then we get the echo in verse ten when God confronts Cain about this, we get that echo from the very from you know from chapter three where he's like, you know. 
you're you're cur- you're under another curse. Yeah. You- well, this this follows the pattern of chapter three. Uh, you may recall the way in which in chapter three, God calls the man to account, and he mm. blames says the woman that you put here with me. She. So mm. it was this abdication of responsibility. And then when he confronted the woman, the woman says the serpent did it. And so there is this uh, this abdication of responsibility that occurs because, of course, to be put in a position of authority is to be made responsible. Responsibility and authority are two sides of the same coin. Mm. So what we have here is the same thing. God confronts Cain. What is this you have done? Uh, And what does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Mm. It's a complete abdication of responsibility. I'm I'm not responsible for my brother. Well, in a sense, we are responsible for each other. Mm. That's what it means to be in a position of authorities to have responsibility. So again, we have this same kind of thing uh, repeating itself. It's it, it, um, again, I'm just marveling at this, reading it again. Uh, so as we wrap up chapter chapter four, we leave with this um, very weird conversation with, you know, between God and Cain. Cain giving, uh, you know, God saying, "Look, please don't." You know, judge me so harshly, and then God sort of having this grace. Yeah, there's grace here. Puts a grace. mark on him. Well, it's interesting because he is banished um, uh, and and sent out uh, to the east, and um, he says, "But you know, if people, anyone finds me, uh, that they'll kill me." I mean, it's interesting actually that there are plenty of people around uh, by this stage, or at, at this stage. Um, at least enough for him to fear being killed. Mm. So, um, and God says, no, if anyone kills you, uh, you know, they will be, um, uh, what does he say here? Not so if anyone kills, can vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Mm. And the Lord put a mark in, uh, mark on that. Now, interestingly, if we go down the text, mm. uh, we have the line uh, of Cain, mm-hmm. which um ends up with Lamech, who is the seventh from Adam. You know, again, I talked about numbers. Seventh from Adam is Lamech. And there's this sense in Lamech that evil has come to its fruition. Remember, seven is the sort of number of completion. uh, And it's like evil has come to its sort of zenith here in in some sense. And uh, first of all, he is he marries two wives, so this is polygamy. We get the introduction of uh, polygamy. And it, and it's um, not and and again, it's it's meant to be shocking yeah. when it says Lamech married two women. You're meant to go, "Whoa, that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's going against Yes. It's going against the um uh, the Genesis chapter 2 exactly. definition of uh, of marriage. Yep. Um and he then boasts to his wives and he says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So he's, so he's saying, you know, God was going to avenge Cain seven times. And, and in that case, it's a, it's a you know, perfect. He's saying, well, I take this into my own hands now. So again, you get... The same sort of thing, uh, an exercise of it's not an exercise of authority; it's an exercise of power uh, in the service of autonomy. Mm. It's the same kind of problem here, but now it's escalated, and he's saying, uh, "I'll avenge myself." Thanks very much. Yes, uh, but not just seven times; seventy-seven times. Yeah, uh, seventy-seven times um, vengeance. Now it's interesting in Matthew eighteen. Um, 
we have this account where Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Mm. And then he goes on to tell a, tell a parable. So this is ac- that's actually a reference. You know, so... Yeah. Um, uh, th- there's like sevenfold vengeance for harm against Cain. Mm. Uh, th- there was this idea of forgiving seven, uh, seven times. Uh, but Jesus is taking this further. No more than that is going to be needed to fix this world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A world which is sort of um, the state of which is, is indicated here by uh, Lamech's uh, little boast. We finished chapter four with mm. Seth on the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Seth is 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 now uh, you know the repla- you know the replacement for Abel in the sense of yeah. what we see him doing. And the final line in chapter four is at that time, yeah. people began to call on the name of the Lord. Yeah, and it's it, it comes with the line of Seth. This um, what we're going to see in the genealogies is that the, the line of Cain, which comes to you know, the number seven, we is in Lamech. So we see the sort of demise. Remember, this is the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Mm. Uh, the um, in Genesis three fifteen, there are going to be these two parts in conflict. Yes, those who walk with God and those who walk in autonomy. Autonomy just means self rule. Yes, uh, against God. And what you see in the line of Cain and Seth, respectively, is this kind of thing. Mm. So we've seen in the line of Cain uh, with Lamech, this rebellion against God. But when we get to the line of Seth, now, if you go seven, who's the seventh from Adam down the line of of, uh, Seth? Enoch. Mm. So Enoch is parallel to Lamech in terms of the number uh, from from Adam. Mm. And what does it say about Enoch? It said Enoch. Walked with God. With God. Yeah. Um, so that's going to come later. But here, even at the beginning, when it talks about Enosh, who is the son of Seth, the son of Adam, uh, it says at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. And that's in contrast to the boasting yes. line, of, you know, the, the line of Cain. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll leave chapter four there. We're going to go ja- into chapter five, which is, oh, genealogies. We know how much we love <laughs> genealogies around here. Let's take a break. You're listening to Thrive Deeper with Matt and DJ. Hey family, it's DJ here and I wanted to send out a massive thank you to each and every one of you who subscribes and downloads this podcast. Thank you to everybody that's been out rating it, sharing it with their friends. It makes a huge difference to us. Now, the best way to find out more about what we do and everything that we're doing with Thrive is at thrivetoday.net. That's thrivetoday.net.au. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a, let me say, uh, a choose-your-own-adventure guide here. Choose-your-own-adventure. Remember those, the choose-your-own-adventure books? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to thrivetoday.net.au. Have a look on the side. You will see an area where you can subscribe to the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, or you can even send a prison subscription 
of Thrive into the prisons there. Click on either one of those and it'll take you through to our sister website, our store online, Five Online. Head over to Five Online. And there, down the bottom, you'll see all the artists that we work with. Sons of Cora, Anna Waters, Anne-Marie Keefe, Rod Gear, the unofficial soundtrack. You'll even find links to Matt's book, Deeper Places. It's all happening right there. So a bit of a find. You can click around and find your own adventure there. Find somewhere that you want to go to read up more about everything that we do. That's all can be found at thrivetoday.net.au. Okay, that's enough from me. Now back to the discussion on Genesis with Matt Jacoby. You're listening to Thrive Deeper, DJ Payne here, your humble host with Matthew Jacoby sitting opposite me. We are going through the early chapters of the book of Genesis. Now, Matthew, we just finished uh, Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel, these two lines have been set up. Uh, from Adam, we've got the line of uh, of Cain, and then we see with the Lamech, uh, you know, these, these rebellious you know, chaotic, standing in the face of God sort of line over here. And then from the line of Seth, Enosh, eventually down to Enoch, these people who walked yep. with God, who called on the name, name mm. of the Lord. Chapter chapter 5 gives us these uh, the genealogies of, uh, you know, the, the fathers and their sons as they went through. A couple of notes there. This is where we get introduced to Enoch. Um, that's you know, right. As, as the seventh line. It's yeah. this tiny few verses that yeah, we have. That's right. And so you, you can almost picture it if you take, you know, uh, two lines down. I'm using my hands as though our listeners can see me. Yeah. But you've got you've got these two family trees, uh, family trees and, and you just think of it vertically. One, you've got the vertical line of Cain on the one hand. You count seven from Adam, you get to Lamech. And Lamech, of course, is this um, sort of the epitome epitomizes where that went you know he's boasting he's saying i'm going to avenge myself thanks for he's the ultimate state of rebellion against god yes. you count seven down seth's line from adam seven down you get to enoch yeah and um enoch uh, it says he walks with god and then it just says he was no more we don't know what happened there but evidently he was taken up to heaven yes. without uh, seeing death um and then finally, after 10, we get to Noah. Noah is the 10th uh, in that line through Seth. And um, uh, Noah, also it is said of Noah that he walked with God. This is a standard way of expressing um, uh, that relationship with God. Now, recall Genesis chapter 3, where it talks about God coming and walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Yes. Because what he wanted, of course, was to walk with Adam. Uh, so, so there are people here, even in these times, who are walking with God. They are walking. They have this close relationship with God. And Noah, um, you know, we follow the line of Seth, and we get to Noah. And um, on the, the down at the line of uh, Cain, we get to um, uh, uh, Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal Cain. Uh, and the, these are the. These are all of the others who are in rebellion against God, but when, once we get to Noah, um, and it's interesting to note what the word Noah means. It means rest. There you go. 
So, you know, again, these same themes are carrying through uh, the text here. All right, so flying over chapter 5, we're introduced finally to Noah in these generations, and we're now, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years uh, past the the story of creation. Actually, Um, DJ, let me interrupt you there. There's a question that is going to be, will have burned in anyone's mind in reading these chapter Mm 5. Nine hundred years old? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have these long, uh, these long lifespans. Um, so I was going to let that slide. I was going to go. You, right you were just going to, yeah, I'm yeah. Going to let that. And, and, and I'm tempted to. Yeah. Um, but no, this is good. Yeah. Uh, 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 let's uh, go I'm, for it. I'm tempted to because um, uh, that's what it says there. It's actually not an uncommon feature in the um, Sumerian king lists. They have kings living. 40,000 years, 30,000 years, 15,000. Yeah. Really? It's, um, and I mean, they're, uh, I mean, it's been suggested that these are dynasties rather than uh, individuals. Yes. It has, that's been suggested also uh, of the text here in Genesis chapter five. I just don't think that works uh, because uh, God eventually reduces their years to. 120, 120 and then the other problem of course if you do that kind of thing you've got them having children effectively at or or, or, or you've you just got it causes some other problems yeah now look um you know it's not it's not Im- impossible and and you know the use of numbers in there's a lot that we don't know there but uh, the, there's a theological point to this: is that yeah. as we move, uh, you know, we're still close to the garden, and then there's still this, uh, there is still this connection with the tree of life, and it wanes. Yeah. You know, it's still there, um, and so you know, the text wants to say that, in a sense, the the fruit of the tree of life is still abiding mm. in the in the genes of man as it were to, yeah. to some uh, extent I mean I'm expressing that in modern terms yeah it's interesting I mean this this I got down a rabbit hole with this one because I you know I started reading about um, you know what are the factors uh, that 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 cause death you know yeah. and and Genetic. actually we don't know a lot about that We'd, really exactly I mean radiation has got a lot to do with it. it's perhaps m- most of what we know about death has to do something to do with radiation interestingly, uh, Hugh Ross, uh, who's a, a Christian cos- cosmologist, um, he uh, he talks about a, um, a, a su- like a massive supernova that cre- that has created a lot of the radiation, um, uh, and he talks. He, you know, he sort of dates the kind of um, the effects of that. To the t- around the time when God would have said 120 years, that's it. Now, yeah. it's interesting. You can read Hugh Ross, uh, look him up. Uh, yes. So I read lots of different, you know, ways of uh, explaining this. Yeah. Uh, I ended up being probably as confused as I started out <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and shrugging my shoulders and said, well, that's that. There's, yeah. there's a lot here that we don't know. Uh, well, and, and, and I don't mind that, really. That doesn't. And I, and it's I, not so much of a problem. I, I also, I also think that there's a, there's a, um, the other thing in the text. I, I think that is pretty obvious, is that the world was very, very, very different mm. pre and post flood. The atmosphere, the world, and everything like that. Well, the stro- yeah, this is a, this is a, an explanation that, um, 
Yes, this is one of the explanations that I've heard. And it actually is not now a, a very popular one, even with very strict young earth creationists, mm-hmm. the idea that there was a, a sort of a watery firmament that... W- yeah. That creates this uh, kind of greenhouse, this magic magic barrier for... for. Look, I mean, the problem with that is that we still have talk of of the same waters above the sky well after the flood. And so there are a number of of problems with that. uh, that. So, look, it's probably best to say we just don't know really what's... uh, uh, what, what's going on here, but um, and and how that could have been so, or, or why it's described that way. Yeah. Um, but it certainly, as I said, has that theological purpose. Definitely. As we, you know, we're still close to the tree of life, and mm. you asked about the the death thing. Mm-hmm. We're yet to see as they leave the garden. Well, what happens to this death thing? Yeah. Well, eventually they do die. Yeah. But not for a long time. It but long it gets time. to the point where mm. God shortens the lifespan mm. to uh, the outer limit to 120 years. Now, I don't mm. think anyone that I've ever heard of has lived to 120 years. I think the oldest person living today is around 120 years old. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Like, so it's still, yeah. it's in effect. Yeah, you that's know, all right. The, all yeah. these thousands of years later, that, that judgment yeah. is still in so, effect. So anyway, that takes us into chapter six. And chapter six, the first few chap- few verses of chapter six. Oh, <laughs> lordy, lordy. Yeah. This is, this is the height of wickedness in the world. This mm. is the peak of... Of wickedness into the world, and so we get the concept here of the Nephilim, of the sons of man, these angels leaving their rightful place and procreating with women yeah. on the earth. This is a concept that is troubling for a lot of people, but echoes all the way through Scripture. This is something that that, that really mm. is a is a thread that carries on from this. Yeah. Verse so on. we talked about this. Uh, when we looked at Jude, didn't we? And, P- and Peter. Uh, and Peter. Yeah. Uh, we talked about uh, the, the Nephilim. The, the point here in Genesis chapter 6 is that, you know, that you've got both human beings and spiritual beings all in rebellion. It's mm. just like this this state of, uh, of rebellion. And um, because of this, because of the rebellion on earth, um, uh, because human beings are conspiring with spiritual beings, because remember, we still... We we can still, um, you know, there there is, it's we're still responsible. You can't, you know, this idea. Oh, well, the devil made me do it. No, no, we we are still responsible. Remember what God said to catch sinners crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Mm. In many ways, sin is in, in, embodied in these spiritual beings and in that temptation that that they bring. Um, so there is still this opportunity to um, to curb that, but of course this isn't happening. Mm. Um, and there is this conspiring between these spiritual forces and human forces. And um, in the ancient world, um, alliances were... I mean, I don't know if this is behind this, but, you know, um, marital, marital alliances were were how you made alliances. So I don't know if there's something here in the text that is hinting at a sort of alliance between fallen angels and human beings. It's very it's very sort of mystical. There, yeah. there are um, – now, we're assuming here that Nephilim, the, by the Nephilim, is meant these angelic spiritual yes. beings, of wh- whatever that means. Yes. Uh, but there are a couple of other uh, views um, here of the Nephilim. I mean, there's simply the view that this is um, – uh, that they are um, just 
well, the, well, there are a few different uh, views um, about this. Let's go to the because it's the sons of God. Yes. One is that they're human rulers. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Another actually is that they're actually good, and that's the line of Seth. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, and and they've got some, you know. So, for example, um, that this is talking about human rulers. I mean, um, Bruce Waltke, John Walton. I mean, there, there's some great uh, Old Testament scholars that hold to that. Okay. Um, probably the the top rated commentary still, which is the Word Biblical Commentary, which is a very uh, high end scholarly uh, commentary uh, written by um, Wenham. Uh, he, he holds to the angels' view still. And I would still lean towards that. I think mm. by sons of God and um, and then the Nephilim being the, the sort of offspring of yes. these sons of God, uh, I, I think there, there is this kind of alliance between these fallen spiritual forces and human yeah. beings. I think that's what that's... And I, and I think... But, that, I, but think I should say, I mean, you know, I should say that's what I would lean towards, but there are some differences of opinion around and the, this. And, so. and that's fine. And I, But I think the next few verses... Verse five of chapter six and onwards, you know this. What we read about the Nephilim and this procreation between angel, you know, uh, the sons of God and human beings and and everything there, echoes in verse five. I think that's part of the picture where God is saying, "This is all bad. Like yeah. this is this is evil. It's all bad. Yeah, evil, evil, <laughs> evil. To the point where, and we get this first. This is another point where where we get this first sort of hint." That the way that God is written about in in especially in Genesis and Exodus mm. is gonna is gonna sort of trouble us sometimes because we mm. get verse six after looking at you know man's evilness all the time everything that they are doing are evil mm. the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth and His heart was deeply troubled. Yeah. That's not that doesn't sit comfortably with our oh, theology. Yeah, but I think but the problem is I think we hold to. F- uh, you know, we can we can come to this with way too much sort of logic. I know that sounds funny, yeah. um, because you know God doesn't change His mind, or, or you know God doesn't make mistakes, yeah. and so that's what our theology says. And yet, there is this you know God is, is a person who grieves, and so this is an expression of that grief in what we would call anthropomorphic terms. Mm. And anthropomorphism is where you describe God in a way that we can understand through our human lens. So um, the point here is that God is grieved. Mm. God is grieved at what's happening on the earth and the cruelty and the oppression and people, you know, vying against one another. And this has gone to absolute chaos. Mm. And how is God going to answer that? He's going to answer that by sending a flood. Mm. It's like, you want chaos? I'll give you chaos. Mm. Um, we'll take thing if you we'll take things right back to where we started. So um, this is where, of course, we have the uh, introduction of of Noah. Noah is commanded to build an ark. Now Noah Noah is chosen because at this time Noah and his fa- family are the yep. only righteous and blameless people yeah, that's right. on, on the earth. That's right. So there, remember it says Noah walked with God. So yep. Noah's walking with God, and so Noah. Uh, is told to build this vessel, and on this vessel, uh, he's going to bring uh, aboard this selection of, uh, of of animals. Now, there's an interesting parallel here, and, mm. and I'm going to refer to this. I'm going to read you something, okay? And let me um, uh, see if this uh, rings 
uh, a bell. This is from the Epic of Gilgamesh, very famous mm. epic from about 2,000 years BC. Um, uh, and uh, it has this, it's this kind of myth about this character Gilgamesh and he's on this quest and uh, quest for eternal life and he meets this character, right? And, and this character that's been banished to the far side of the sea and, he t- and this character tells him this story, right? Mm. And it goes like this. Let me reveal to you, O Gilgamesh, a hidden matter and a secret of the God that the, the gods uh, let me tell you. Uh, Shurapak, a city you know of, and the Euphrates is situated. Uh, that city was ancient and the gods were within it. The great gods resolved to send a flood. The leader Ea was under oath with them. He, pl- he repeated their plans. Man of Shurapak, son of uh, Bertutu, destroy this house and build a ship. Forsake possessions, seek life, build an ark and save life. Take aboard the ship, seed of all living things. Hmm. Uh, on the fifth day, I laid her framework. One for, I'm skipping little bits here. Uh, one full acre, and he describes this ship, and it was this big and that big. Is building this ark, okay? And then it goes on to say, whatever I had, I loaded upon her. What silver loaded upon her? And then it talks about, you know, the flood came and covered the earth. And then it says that um, as the waters abated, uh, this guy uh, sends out birds to see if, if the, mm. you know, if the flood waters have gone. Now, clearly. Um, we're talking about same events. This is a, a garbled sort of version of that, but we're yes. talking about the same events. Now, um, of course, um, some people would say um, Genesis, you know, story of the flood. The flood oh, it's just taken from this. Mm. It's a it's a copy of this. Now, of course, the assumption behind that view is that something like did not actually happen. Yes, right? <laughs> because if it's- something of this level actually happened, it would be ingrained in human memory uh, in the ancient world. And, and it is. It absolutely is. In yeah. fact, there are flood stories from all over the place. Yeah. Um, but Inclu- this is one of the more notable ones and one of the closest ones to uh, Including indi- Indigenous Australia. Indi- mm. Aboriginal Australia have stories about, you know, exactly the same thing. Sin, the gods... Flood wiped out. Start yeah. again. It's yeah. the same thing in so many patterns in so many ancient ancient stories around the world. And again, it depends on your worldview. You either have the worldview of it happened, so everyone remembers it, or everybody made it made it up and it's in another yeah, made that's up story. Right. Yeah, it's it's exactly. a, the yeah. way that you come to it. Exactly. Of course, we come to it in the point of well, it obviously happened. Yeah. And everybody is carrying around a story, you know, because they remember it in that in that, in that yeah. time. So we get we get Noah. In six and seven, uh, you know, you know, building the ark, getting ready, obeying God, in 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 all the commandments there, and we get a few we get a few different things here. There's a couple of little moments that really jumped out to me in this mm. reading. The fact that Noah is constantly we're constantly being told that Noah did everything that the Lord commanded mm. him. He's yeah. obedient. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. he's and he's doing this rule, but yeah. also that God says to him right at the beginning. I'm going to make a promise with you. I'm going to make a covenant yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. To to bring you through this. Yeah. And this is my promise. So we get this first hint. Well, not really the first hint. We see other hints of it as well. But this is the first time where God is sort of saying to a family, 
I will make a covenant with you to, yeah. you know. To- and I'm going to bring you through the judgment. Yeah. And you will be safe. Now, the same uh, thing happens with Moses. I yes. mean, we have the Passover, but then that's symbolized again with them him being saved through the waters mm, mm, uh, mm. while Pharaoh's army is consumed. You've got, a, you've got the flood uh, all over again there. So, um, yeah, this idea of God binding himself to a people and then saving them from judgment uh, is already laid down here in yep. in. Uh, this story of Noah and the ark. Um, it's as the story goes on. So, I mean, you know, it's a fairly well-known story. So, we don't need to describe it in detail. But he brings the animals. You know, the one thing, DJ, that I like yes. about the movie Noah. Noah. The very uh, controversial yeah, film. Yeah, it's a controversial film. But the one thing. Um, that I, I did like about it was the reconstruction of the ark, you know, and the animals coming mm. on the flood. That was like, if we could just take that part out, yes. uh, then that would be, you know, that would be amazing. Mm. Of course, that's that story is using a whole lot of other things. I mean, it's interesting. I think it actually is using the Epic of Gilgamesh mm. uh, as well because um, there is this fight between the gods because one of the gods says, hey, I sent, I sent... Because there's one God helping this guy escape the flood while the other God wants to destroy everyone. And yeah. in the film Noah, you've got this kind of struggle yes. uh, where he thinks all mankind have to be destroyed, including mm. us. Mm. Uh, I reckon, well, I reckon the filmmakers get that from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Of course. The so they were, they were and they get a whole lot of stuff from the Book of Enoch mm. and, uh, as well. And we've talked about that um, when we discussed it um, in previous episodes. Um but I did like the the I did like the reconstruction. It is a beautiful. Of the, of it's a beautifully made there. film. Yep. It's a well made film, and there's some epic scenes in it. But it's uh, it's far from correct theology. That's right. So we have this. We have this. The, the waters come. Uh, the um, the animals uh, are brought onto the ark. This is important because um, this is an important indicator of the role. Of mankind now, um, what's going to happen in the flood narrative is that we're going to have a lot of elements of the creation narrative repeated again. Yes. So, including the mandate, you know, be fruitful and multiply, mm. you know, fill the earth and subdue it, and uh, and so lots of things are repeated. You know, we have this recreation out of the flood, mm. and one of those, of course. Um, is this idea of you know Noah and having dominion over the animals? Remember, Adam named the animals, and so that is this exercise of authority. Yes. And in biblical terms, authority means care for, responsibility for. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have the same idea here: is that it's, he's not just going on with his family, but there is still this mandate upon him, and so he's going to take these animals from the land and he's going to include them. Uh, and this is a kind of a um, indication of his role as the ruler of creation. Yep, yep. Now, uh, one question that has uh, that is posed when it comes to the flood yes. is how is such a thing, you know, how is this even possible? Well, look, with God, for a start, with God, nothing is impossible. We're talking about God here. Yes. So, um, there, there are a couple of... I mean, there are a couple of different views in in relation to to the uh, to the flood. I mean, um, it's quite uh, commonly held that we don't need to necessarily say that the whole globe was flooded because simply because they didn't have a global perspective. 
Look, that may be the case. The point is in the text is that it is a universal flood that wipes out mankind. But also, we also know that it wasn't until um, the episode of the uh, of the Tower of Babel building that mankind spread. That's what mm-hmm. describes the geographical spread of mm-hmm. mankind. So at least at this time, mankind is gathered in one place. Yes. So proponents of that view would say, well, the point is theologically that it's universal in terms of wiping out uh, humanity and they were concentrated in this sort of um, uh, this sort of Mesopotamian basin. So, so the, the idea behind that view is that this is phenomenological language. Noah is saying, you know, I, is, as he retells the story and passes the story on, is saying everything was the whole world yeah. was covered because, uh, to his view, the whole world was covered. Look, uh, if if the uh, if the impossibility of a global flood is too much, yeah, certainly that that view uh, is possible. I think at the end of the day, um, we we don't know, and the important thing is theologically that there is this universal aspect yes. uh, to this, and this is echoing the Genesis account. Uh, you know. Which is bringing the world back to this state uh, of, of chaos. Yeah, yeah. And so we've, we we read through, you know, chapter 7, 8 and 9, you know, Noah is brought through and his family through the ark. Mm. The animals that are on the ark, finally they get off the ark in this new, uh, you know, not, basically a slate that has been wiped clean, mm. uh, for you know, for them. And God establishes a covenant mm. with them, establishes a promise, uh, you know, talks of, again, we get this very human personified mm. view of God, you yeah. know, like God saying in his heart, you know, God smelling, God, yeah. you know, entering into a conversation. I will never do this again. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's quite a sh- – look, it really is when you think through it, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible mm. thing that happened. Um, and – you know, it leads people to say, oh, man, what sort of a God is this that just wants to judge and destroy everyone? You know, mm. wh- why would God uh, do that? But the point is, is that human beings uh, without restraint and and had, had become so dehuman, mm. so dehumanized that they were unrecognizable from what God had created. And so this is in a th- – th- there's – no doubt that this is justice. I mean, yes. God is look. What, whatever God does is just. We define justice by what God does, not submit God to judgments about what we think is just or not. Mm. Um, but you know, we need to assume that God is absolutely just uh, in this. Mm. But remember, justice isn't God's ultimate goal. Grace is God's ultimate goal. But grace doesn't mean anything unless it's against a back drop of what justice looks like. Now, yes. what we're going to get to very soon in this story is a story of grace. Once we zoom in to Abraham, so the first 11 chapters of the Bible like the prologue to a story that begins in chapter 12 with Abraham. Yeah. And the background is God's perfect order that got completely messed up by God's mankind who now deserve judgment. Okay. And what we're going to see in the Tower of Babel, and we'll probably get to that in the next episode, I think, um, we're going to see mankind in full-scale rebellion again. So, mm. you, But this time, instead of sending a flood or judgment, because as you said, God promises here that he won't mm. do that again. Mm. So in other words, if God's not going to do that again, then he must have another plan. Mm. And surely enough, he does, and he announces that plan to Abraham. Okay. So that plan is signal. You know, um, God says to Noah, 
uh, I'm never going to do this again. And to remind you of that, whenever you see a rainbow, let that be a sign to you mm. uh, of, you know, as it were, the, the, the of this covenant that I, that this promise that I'm making. And so it's mm. not just a promise not to judge; it's a promise to do something else, which inevitably is going to be to show grace. And that story begins with Abraham. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to wrap up this episode. We're going to leave Noah and his family coming off the ark. God promising, um, you know, a covenant, making a new promise with them. We're going to pick it up next week to see what happens with the descendants again. So we've gone through reset number one, basically. Yeah. You know, like we've gone through this. You know, we've, we've gone sped from, through it too, but uh, but we've had to. We've had to. <laughs> so we've gone from, you know, we've gone from the creation story of God bringing order out of chaos, establishing a relationship with you know humankind, it being broken the first time. Mm building up again, falling away again, and now we've got Noah, you know, re-establishing yep. a new covenant. So that's where we want to leave it for this for this week. We're going to come back with Noah next week and see where it leads to. Um, and don't be um, don't be holding your breath that <laughs> uh, everything's going to turn out okay. And look, we are aware there have been some questions coming through yeah. and um, don't despair. We, we, we do apologise because we've been trying to cover a lot of detail in these last few episodes. Yeah. We haven't had a chance to get questions, but I think we'll make some time in the next uh, episode, in the next episode yeah. to deal with some of those questions. All right. So as we wrap up this episode, Matt, I'll leave it over to you. As we go ahead and we're reading through Genesis and you've already given us a bit of a framework yeah. there. What what should we be keeping in mind? What thoughts? We should what be things? keeping in mind that when we mess with God's order, chaos ensues, and unrest, and we are responsible for our own hearts. We're responsible for the world, but the state of the world is a reflection of the human heart. And if you want to bring order and rest to your life, start with what's in your heart. And bring God's order and God's rest in your heart, and then you'll be empowered to bring God's order and God's rest to the world around you and to be a blessing. Uh, that's what we want, isn't it? God's rest after God's order in our life. I think that's what all of humanity is craving for. And we see the patterns again and again in this early part of Genesis. It's going to set the stage for the rest of the Bible. This is so exciting going through the book of Genesis. I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. Now, as I said, head over to thrivetoday.net.au. There you will find everything you need to contact us, send a question, all the links to subscribe or even to give a prison subscription of Thrive, the daily reading guide into prisons around you. Once again, we want to say thank you so much to you for downloading and please subscribe to this podcast in any podcast subscription app that you have, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is that you're using, please subscribe, rate us five stars. It goes a long way in helping us. We will see you next week as we go through the book of Genesis, finish off with Noah, and we may even introduce the man Abraham. All right, that's happening on next week's episode 78. I'll see you back here then. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to 
thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive.